February 19th, 2023. Transfiguration Sunday, Year A. First Lesson. A reading from Exodus, chapter 24, verses 12 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. To the elders he had said, Wait here for us until we come to you again, for Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day he called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for forty days and forty nights. Psalm 99 The Lord is King. Let the people tremble. He is enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is high above all peoples. Let them confess his name, which is great and awesome. He is the Holy One. O mighty King, lover of justice, you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Proclaim the greatness of the Lord our God and fall down before his footstool. He is the Holy One. Moses and Aaron among his priests and Samuel among those who call upon his name. They called upon the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them out of the pillar of cloud and kept his testimonies in the decree that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them indeed. You were a God who forgave them, yet punished them for their evil deeds. Proclaim the greatness of the Lord our God and worship him upon his holy hill. For the Lord our God is the Holy One. The Second Lesson A reading from Second Peter Chapter 1, verses 16-21 through 21. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of His Majesty, for He received honor and glory from God the Father. When that voice was conveyed to Him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven, while we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one owns interpretation, but no prophecy ever came by human will. But men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew, in chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. 
With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. It is appropriate here at the end of the season after Epiphany, as we look into the 40-day wilderness journey of Lent, that we are reminded of the gift of our humanity. This is a common theme for me as we look toward Ash Wednesday, and it is one that you've likely heard from me before, and I imagine you'll hear it again from me before I retire. This is mostly because it is essential for us as Christians to reflect on our own humanity as well as that of others. And the story of Jesus' transfiguration offers us an opportunity opportunity to see with the inner circle of Jesus' disciples what it means to be human and what it means for human beings and all of creation, for that matter, that God has become human. I've had recent occasion to remember our baptismal covenant, and so it is on my mind as I read this story of the Transfiguration. It is also appropriate, as we look toward Lent, look into Lent uh, this next week, that we would start with the baptismal covenant, as Lent is the traditional season of preparation for baptism at Easter for the ancient catechumens of the Church. In the baptismal covenant, following our corporate recitation of the Apostles' Creed in question-and-answer form, do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. We are given then further questions to which we respond in the affirmative, I will, with God's help. Questions we do well to remember now as we reflect on Jesus' transfiguration. Will you continue in the Apostles' teaching and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in the prayers? Will you persevere in resisting evil, and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? I will, Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? I will, with God's help. Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? I will, with God's help. And will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? I will, with God's help. The baptismal covenant we share as Christians begins with an affirmation of who God is for us. That's the creed, who God is for us. And then we respond to these questions in the light of that proclamation of who God is for us. If God is the creator, if God has become one of us in Jesus Christ, and then has poured out God's own love on us in the Holy Spirit through the church and the lives of the saints, these questions direct us toward a way of life that lives in response to this God who is for us. We might also say, then, that the baptismal covenant is our affirmation of a way of life that is truly human, revealed in the humanity of God, the life of Jesus Christ. In other words, the baptismal covenant is a commitment to a way of life that recovers the humanity God intended for us, a way of life lived under the assumption that God is with us and for us, and that the forgiveness and grace we need to persevere will be there for us as we stumble our way toward our true humanity. St. Irenaeus is attributed with saying, the glory of God is the human creature fully alive. And in the transfiguration, we see the glory of God shining through the full humanity of Jesus, revealing to us our potential and intended humanity. Jesus has already said that his disciples are to be a light of the world, to be the light of the world, 
What would this light be if not the glory of God shining through the humanity revealed in our way of life together, a way of life that patterns itself on the revelation of abundant life in Jesus? But we should not make the mistake of separating the possibility of suffering and persecution from a life that is lived fully alive. And many of us are fully alive. There are going to be some who are not happy about it. This is, in part, what the voice from heaven is telling the disciples when it commands them to listen to him. Jesus has just told the disciples in chapter 16 that any who wish to follow him must deny themselves and take up their cross. Verse 21 of the previous chapter is the infamous scene where Peter rebukes Jesus for saying that he must suffer at the hands of political and religious leaders. And Jesus then turns around to rebuke Peter by telling him, get behind me, Satan. Peter clearly misunderstands the vocation of the Messiah, but more importantly, he imagines that it is not possible for the Messiah of God to be both glorified and one who suffers at the same time. But Jesus will show us, and Peter, that suffering does not nullify our belovedness in the eyes of God. In fact, we might say, given Jesus' own vindication, that those who suffer are the ones with whom God identifies the most if we are to take seriously the presence of God in the suffering servant, Jesus. In this story, the transfiguration, the body of Jesus reveals the glory of God shining out through one who will suffer greatly, but whose suffering in no way signifies God's abandonment. Jesus' transfiguration reveals the truth of our humanity endowed by God's intimate presence. It is an affirmation of us and of the stuff of which we are made. And that is what so much of the baptismal covenant is about. We're not simply committing to a new set of rules. Rather, our baptismal covenant affirms the life God has given to us as creatures and witnesses to the fact that it is a life worth living well. To gather for the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, and the prayers is to persevere in our formation as a people who are being transformed by God and believing that such transformation is good and necessary in this life. The covenant to repent is ultimately one that is hopeful about our humanity, recognizing that we are far too valuable to God to be condemned outright for our mistakes. Rather, mistakes become points of pruning where new growth and flourishing can take place. The covenant to proclaim this good news, the thing that Episcopalians are worse at, the covenant to proclaim this good news is itself recognition that we live in a world where humanity is desecrated by the systems of labor and law, politics and diplomacy, and our neighbors do not deserve to be held captive to that kind of story. The covenant to seek and serve Christ in all persons is the commitment to recognize the image of God in each of our neighbors, and finally within ourselves. And finally, the commitment to strive for justice and peace and respect the dignity of every human being need not simply be understood as an outreach directive, but as that, but also as a way of understanding ourselves and guarding our own dignity as those who bear the glory of God within us, if we would only trust this way of Jesus to make us fully alive. As the poet Mary Oliver says, there is nothing more pathetic than caution when headlong might save a life, even possibly your own. If there's anything we ought to hear in our reading of the Transfiguration, it is this good news of your infinite worth in the eyes of God. When Peter asks if he ought to construct tents, he is remembering the stories where God was present with people in tabernacles, in tents of meeting, and behind the temple curtain. No doubt these were the ways in which God was truly present with God's people. However, 
The good news we see in this transfiguration story is that the, is that the dignity of humanity is itself the dwelling place of God and the bearer of God's glory. What was once covered by curtains, tents, clouds, and veils is now fully present to us in flesh and blood. Everything the Father has has been given to the Son, and we are co-heirs with him by grace. Everything he has is ours by grace, and everything he is, we are by grace. You are the place God has chosen to abide, and you are the demonstration plot of God's glory. Beloved friends, this is good news. Do not forget who you are. Amen.